Before I read the sermon text this morning, just a few comments. So I could have had a long conversation with Pastor Matt uh, before coming in order to try to get to know as much as I could about you all, um, find out about your needs, your strengths, your weaknesses, all in order to try to figure out what would be the uh, most edifying thing for you to hear in this first sermon of the new year. But then again, I'm German, very German. My parents are from Germany, and we Germans like efficiency. And so instead of taking all that time, I just picked something universal, something that everybody needs. And to be quite honest, I actually picked something that that I especially need. But I'm convinced that it will also minister to you this morning. And that's the importance of, of coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's hear now his words from Matthew chapter 11. Just going to read a little bit of the, of the context, a few verses ahead of our text, which is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And I'll begin at verse 25. Let's hear now God's holy word. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Let's pray together. Once again, O oh Lord, our Father and our God, we, we come to you with great thanksgiving for your holy word, and we ask that you would send forth now your spirit in power to work in our hearts. O oh God, your servants are, are listening, so we ask that you would speak and that you would cause the very thoughts, the meditations of our hearts, and the words of my lips to be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you heavy laden this morning? Do you sometimes find yourself weary? Do you feel like you have a good deal, a good share of burdens that you carry through your life? Or perhaps your labors sometimes feel quite unfulfilling, or perhaps just filled with with troubles, very difficult. Maybe you find yourself laboring uphill, like taking two steps back for every one step that you've accomplished in the forward direction. Perhaps not necessarily in your your daily work, your, your career, but in some important relationship or relationships, or in your battle against a certain sin or another. 
So in one way or another, this is all of us this morning, isn't it? We do labor, and we are heavy laden, and we don't really have that much choice in it, do we? We don't have a choice to to have trouble-free lives, because life in this fallen and sin-cursed world is, is filled with troubles. That's the very nature of it. Many of our troubles are not only allowed, but ordained by God into our lives just because he knows that we need them. Because he loves us way more than we even love us, he is bound and determined to make us holy, isn't he? And so then that kind of necessitates the trials and the hardships. God is also, as our Father, bound and determined to teach us that this earth is not our home. This earth is not our home. The trials that that make this life less desirous, less less an end in itself, they, they teach us to long for heaven, don't they? So they are, in their own way, blessings. And so we have these burdens that we really have no, no choice about. But then we often also make our very burdens heavier than they need to be. And how do we do that? We, it's, it's because we fail to regularly come to Christ, not just with our burdens, but with everything. We fail to abide in him the way that he invites us and calls us to do. And so from this text, our Lord Jesus Christ calls us in his usual and very gracious manner to abide in him. Here's what I think our text says, just right on the face of it. Number one, all who labor and are heavy laden and need rest, come to me. Come to me, says our Lord Jesus. And then number two, coming to Christ means taking up his yoke, learning from him, and finding rest for your soul. Coming to him means taking up his yoke and learning from him and finding rest for your soul. And then number three, why come to Christ? This is interwoven, the the reason, the answer. Why come to Christ? Why receive his yoke and his teaching? Because he is gentle and lowly in heart, which is such a huge incentive, isn't it, for us to actually do that, to draw near to him. But that would be a most German way to break down the text, and some of you who are taking notes actually thought those are my my three sermon points. Sorry about that. I'm not going to be that characteristically German. Instead, I'm going to just walk through the text with us under two main heads, and then the second has a couple of subheads. Number one, what did Jesus mean by come? And also, why should we then do that? But what did Jesus mean by come? And then number two, what are the reasons that we should come to him, such as that he is meek and gentle, lowly in heart, and so that we can receive the blessings that he offers us in this text. So number one, what is it to come to Christ? What does that mean? Well, to come to Christ, as I've been saying, it involves abiding in him. That means knowing him intimately. And you might want to go home and and carefully review the first 10 or so verses of John chapter 15. We won't turn there to read it, but that's where Jesus teaches about abiding in him. He says, as we abide in him, he abides in us. To come to Christ is to get involved with him. It's basically to marry him, which is a very common picture used in the New Testament, painting our relationship with him as his people. 
to come to Christ is to throw your lot in with him. It's to believe him and what he says. It's to stake all your happiness and even your eternity on him. In other words, it's to get very near to him and with that to trust him. Taking him up on his promises. And for any who aren't yet true believers, this would be an initial coming to him that has to precede abiding in him. There's an initial coming to him that would be necessary, a once and for all turning to him in repentance and faith, a turning to him in trust, and then receiving him as Savior and Rescuer. But Savior and Rescuer from what? Why do we call him Savior? Savior from an eternal hell of punishment from God, punishment by God, our just deserts for our rebellion against God, for our sin. Also rescue from sin's influence and power over us, as well as Satan's. Rescue also from the fear of death. So all this is what every human being, everyone who sins so desperately needs, and what the Lord Jesus Christ offers freely to all who will come to him. Just in the verse preceding our text, verse 27, Jesus said, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. In other words, all authority has been granted unto me. I am the sovereign ruler and owner. And so when I say all who come to me will receive rest, even in the case of an unbeliever, freedom from sin and from Satan and their punishment and their power. He means it, and it is his authority to grant it. The all there is not an unimportant word. This rest, my friends, is offered to everyone, no matter how sinful, no matter how evil, no matter how far you may have walked away from our Lord. The Lord Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. In another place, in John 6, 37, he says, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will not reject. I will not turn away. I will never cast out. But how then do you receive this rest? And this is all important. It's by receiving Christ, and not just as your rescuer, but also as your king. And you do this by humbly bowing yourself, by humbling yourself, before him in your heart, laying down your pride, laying down what you may think is your right to do things your way, however you want, when push comes to shove, choosing your will over God's. It also involves laying down your unbelief. What kind of unbelief am I, am I thinking of here? Well, laying down, forsaking your thinking, which is every unbeliever does, and which we believers do sometimes too, this thinking that God isn't actually for us. You're thinking that, that God isn't actually for you. You're following Satan's suggestion that, that God isn't out for your good, that he doesn't in fact have your best interests in mind. Because after all, if he did have all my best interests in mind, then why would he limit me and restrict me? Why would he command me to make hard choices, to do hard things, to make sacrifices, and even to die to myself, that's really hard. And that's not fun. 
Come to Christ as your rescuer and your king by repenting from your pride and of your unbelief and altogether trusting him, believing that he is altogether good. You have his word on it, my friend. Come to him and you will find rest for your soul. Now, if you are a believer this morning, this passage also is completely relevant to you because the coming to Christ must never stop. Yes, brand new believers must come to him for a first time, but even the most mature still have to come to Christ every day. Why? Because of the sin that that still remains in our hearts, which would lead us to self-sufficiency, to self-praise, to self-satisfaction, to feeling like we don't need Christ or even desire him anymore. That sin also leads us to getting ourselves duped by sin and by the world, by their empty promises of bringing fulfillment. You see, we all have restlessness of heart. This almost seems to be built into us. We have anxieties. Will I succeed in in my life, in my goals? Will I meet the expectations of others, of myself, of God? Am I good enough for my family, for my spouse, even for God? Am I going to, are we going to have all the things that we need? Is everything going to work out okay in my life? We have these daily anxieties. The Apostle Paul himself felt daily anxieties. His were over the welfare of the churches that he had, had, that he had planted. He mentions that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And then besides all this inward restlessness, this, this frequent lack of peace, we also live in a world that's always crying out to us, always beckoning, holding out its wares, saying, this thing or activity is what's going to make you happy. This is what will fill you up. Do this and you will have joy. Do this and your soul will be satisfied. Friends, our only defense from the siren calls of sin and of the world and of Satan is to know and to believe Jesus when he said things like, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We will celebrate that he is our life-giving and soul-nourishing bread. And a bit after the message this morning at the Lord's table, Christ and Christ alone can give soul satisfaction. But we forget that so often, don't we? And we need to relearn it every day, become freshly convinced of it day after day after day after day. Our memories are horrible. They're racked by the fall. Unbelief creeps in quickly. So we need this daily reminder. We need Jesus. We need to hear him saying, come, come to me and you will find rest. A rest of complete and perfect acceptance by God and a rest of living what we were made for as we abide in Christ and as he abides in us. The great early church father, St. Augustine, wrote 
Thou hast made us for thyself. This was a prayer that he wrote to the Lord. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Friends, I think all this is what it means to come to Christ, to come to him and to find rest. Now, the second thing that I want us to consider this morning is what are the reasons as to why we should come to Christ? Why should we do this? Why should we heed his call to come to him and to rest? Well, first of all, it's because God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is gentle or meek, and he is lowly of heart. Those are basically used synonymously there. He is gentle and lowly in heart, and this is so important. Why is it so important? Because it helps us to actually come to him and to come boldly. You have to be assured enough of his gentleness in order to have confidence to come to him at every and any time and to come to him just as you are at any moment. Consider two different young children, each with a very different father. One dad is harsh and impatient, He's proud, he's often rough, often distant, and sometimes mean. The other dad is gentle and lowly of heart. Which child is going to be bold and frequent about asking his father for help with something instead of remaining afraid to do so? Or coming only when his fear overcomes his lack of desire to, 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 to ask his dad for something? Which child will, will run freely and quickly to his father when he has a need or a fear? Obviously, the one whose father is gentle and lowly of heart. And that's our Savior, brothers and sisters. That is our Savior. When they drove the nails into Christ's hands, did he shout out? Did he decry the horrible injustice of it? No, his most gracious words were, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. When the fig tree in one of his parables proved to be barren, when it was devoid of any fruit after three years of tending it, what did he say to the vine dresser who was about to cut it down? He said, no, don't cut it down yet. Leave it alone for yet another year that I might dig around it and put manure on it. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. His patience and his kindness, so important, such a warm and inviting element of his character. Romans chapter 2 tells us that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. He is gentle and lowly of heart. Do you remember the, the poor woman who had the flow of blood for 12 years? Her actions related to him demonstrate his character. Did she fear to come near to him since she was ceremonially unclean? And in, in her mind anyways, this was going to make him unclean through her touch. This was going to bar him from entrance into the temple, from worship participation. No, apparently not. There was no fear because she knew or at least had heard that he was gentle, 
which made her bold enough to push through the crowd and even to touch the hem of his garment without asking permission even. Nobody was afraid of Jesus. The mothers brought their babies to him to bless them. He feasted at wedding feasts. He sat down with the sinners. He touched the unclean and the lepers. He made himself at home with all people. Friends, this is who invites you to come to him. This is who is infinitely patient with you. As lowly of heart as he is, he humbles himself even to the place of teaching us stubborn sinners our ABCs of repentance, going through each letter very patiently with us and carefully again and again and again and again. Taking us for the thousandth time, then for the thousand and first, and then for the thousand and second time, patiently back to the basics. All this means that if you stay away from him, it's not because he has shut the door, but simply because you won't come. Your unbelief is keeping you away. Because you know that no matter how filthy your heart or how ragged or poor or lost or even ruined your faith, you are invited to come just as you are, no matter the status of your faith or of your heart. He will never say anything like, what took you so long? Or I can't believe you did that. Or it's about time you came to your senses. Hebrews 5.2 says of every high priest in Israel that he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. And every one of those high priests in Israel pointed to our great high priest, our sympathetic and empathetic Jesus. Having himself lived in this sin-cursed world and in a fallen human body, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Hebrews 5, verse 2. So he says to us, let the one who hears come and let the one who is thirsty Come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. So reason number one that we should come to Christ is because he is gentle and lowly of heart. Now reason number two that we should come to him is so that we might receive the gifts that he offers. It's in order to receive his gifts. And those gifts are many. But in our particular text in addition to the gift of rest, which we've already considered, there's also the easy yoke and light burden, which also are basically synonyms, basically the same thing. And then there's also learning from him, the learning that we receive when we come. Now, at first glance, it might look like these two things are actually requirements for coming to Christ. This is what you need to do, or these are the things that you do in coming to Christ, but the text doesn't really allow us to see that way. It really points to them as being more of gifts, more of something that Christ is inviting us to receive. Verses 28 and 29 are basically parallel. Come to me is a gracious invitation in 28. It's a gift being offered to draw near to Christ 
And then notice that if we do it, it results in rest for us there at the end of verse 28. So it's the same structure in verse 29. The first part parallels the come to me of verse 28, and then the last part of it parallels the latter part, finding and receiving rest. So take my yoke upon you. Receive this this blessing. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, which also leads to finding rest for your soul. So the second reason we should come to him is to receive the gifts that he offers, his yoke and his learning. So let's consider these. Kids, what is a yoke? Do you know what a yoke is? No, it's like a a big wooden beam that that's probably about this big. It goes across a big wooden beam and it's used to connect usually two strong oxen to connect them kind of together. And then in the middle, there's a chain or a rope that goes back and is attached to a plow or some other really heavy thing that is being pulled. Sometimes the yoke might be designed for a pair of horses or other animals, but there's a hump cut here and then here along the bottom of the beam And that hump fits right over the back or the shoulders of, in in this case, oxen. And because of the design of the yoke, what it does is it sort of makes the two go together at the same speed. It helps them to stay next to each other. And what it also does is if one of the oxen, for example, is weaker, it allows that weaker one to still do something, to still have a part in pulling this heavy plow or whatever's behind. And so it sort of balances the two out. What that means is if you're the the weaker ox, then the stronger one's going to be helping you quite a bit. He's got the more work to do. And for the stronger one, he he has to do a little bit more than you in order to keep everything even and balanced. And so this, if you think about it, what Jesus is actually offering and saying here, this is a, a most amazing thing because he is saying, I will go next to you. I am going to yoke myself with you to your burdens. And what does that mean for us? We are the infinitely weaker one. And so what that means is that as we become yoked to him, we get his power. We get his victory over sin and over Satan. And what it means for him is he picks up all of our weakness And he makes up for it as we are yoked to him. Friends, what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture. It's not just talking about becoming his servant and being under him like somehow chained to him. This is talking about him bearing our burdens with us. What grace that is and what what a confidence this gives us. What a peace and what an assurance Even what rest for our souls, brothers and sisters. And then a second thing that we receive as we come to him, which is part and parcel with our our being intimately connected to him, being yoked to him, is that we receive his teaching into our lives. We, We become his learners. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he invites us. When Jesus spoke about abiding in him and he in us in John 15, part of that, he said, was to abide in his words. As in learning his ways. Not just trusting 
what he says, but learning his ways, learning to do what he says. Believing, trusting, and learning, and knowing that Proverbs 13, 15, that the way of transgressors is hard, it is ruinous. In other words, that sin leads to sorrow, and the flip side, that holiness leads to happiness. That sin leads to sorrow, and holiness is that which leads to happiness. Learning of Christ is to trust that the way of discipleship, the way of following Christ, of walking in his footsteps, even of of suffering and of submission to the Father, this leads to a happy conscience. It leads to health, to life, even to boldness in our walk with God. As we study and learn Christ's words, we, we recognize and we become convinced that God's ways are basically 180 degrees upside down compared to the ways of the world. And that walking with Christ is to turn your back on the world and its ways of thinking and adopt a whole new life, a whole new way of thinking. It's recognizing that success in God's world is the exact opposite, the upside down of the world's definition of success and learning then to value and to treasure that which is true success. There's so many things to learn in, from Christ in his school of discipleship. So many things, but there's just one particular thing I want to highlight for us this morning. It's something that, as we learn, becomes especially connected to our peace and to our rest. And it is to trust in God the Father for our needs. It's to trust the Father to provide for us, just as Christ had to do during his earthly ministry, during his public ministry. Remember, he had said, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Remember, he was basically homeless. When he sent the 72 disciples out two by two, he said to them, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. He told them this so that they would learn to trust God to provide for them through the people of God. To to be surprised each day how he would provide for them. How gentle and how persuasive were his words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 when he said, and I'm going to read a somewhat extended portion, verses 24 through 32. He said to us, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Brother, sister, would you like to be free as a bird? Without a care in the world with respect to your physical provisions, then believe these words. Believe and submit to Christ's discipleship where he tells us our Father values us much, much more greatly than the little sparrows of the field which are here today and gone tomorrow. And if he values us that much more greatly, then of course he will provide for us that much more perfect care. Of course we do our reasonable and responsible parts, but he takes care of the rest. The Lord Jesus Christ says, learn from me. Believe that God gives to us the way of peace and of rest. So reviewing this second point now, why should we then heed Christ's call and come to him? First, we should come because he is gentle and lowly of heart. Second, so that we might receive the gifts of his easy yoke. And then the third is so that we might learn from him. And now fourthly, and last of all, kind of a bonus, and this has been implied, an employed point pretty much all the way along, but I want to make it explicit now. We should come to Christ because we are filled with burdens. We struggle to trust God the way that we should. And even when we do, there are burdens that we cannot avoid. We should come to Christ because we do have loads of care which do need lightening, they do need to be shared, and so we are the perfect fit for Jesus, the one who bears our sorrows and who lightens our load. We have needs for help, for forgiveness, for comfort, for rest, and Christ has the supply. He is the supply. Friend, in all of your frustrations and failures and disappointments and difficulties and disasters and in all of your tragedies come to Jesus come to him with your sins too every time you commit yet another little wretched act of rebellion confess it to him for he is gentle and lowly of heart bring it to him and you will find rest for your soul let me close with these words from the hymn, Come, Ye Sinners. And when you hear the word fitness, that means preparedness or being, or being worthy. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. This he gives you, this he gives you. Tis the Spirit's rising beam. Amen. Let me lead us in a prayer of application. Let's pray together.
O Lord our God, we do believe. Help our unbelief. And how we rejoice, how we praise you, how we bless you, how we thank you. That the Lord Jesus Christ allows us to yoke ourselves to him. How we thank you for this beautiful and most wonderful text and for the comfort and the encouragement that it gives us to not only come to our Lord Jesus Christ, but to find rest in him. O Lord, convince us of these things. Burn their truths, their realities deep into our hearts and fill us with your spirit that we might enjoy, that we might delight in the rest that is supernatural, that peace that surpasses understanding that only you can give. Thank you for providing it. Thank you for ministering to us this morning. We ask that our risen Lord Jesus Christ would be powerfully present at the table shortly. And we ask all this in Christ's precious name. Amen.